Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Fading shot. Up. Good for Giannis at the buzzer. Bucks win it. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I am your host, Kane Pippen, alongside another one of the terrific hosts on the network. He is the host of Locked on Cavs, Chris Manning. Thanks for taking the time to come on. Hey, man. It's a, it's a pleasure. Good to talk about like a good basketball team. <laughs> well, I, I want to start there because I know for the listeners that maybe didn't read the episode description, they're probably wondering why I have a Locked on Cavs host on here. But let's quickly talk about that. You, obviously, the Cavs aren't going down to Florida What's it like covering a team that isn't a part of that? And how do you feel about the whole situation right now? You know, I think I have no qualms with them um, not being in a situation, not like not going to Orlando, right? Like, and there's this talk of like the second bubble. I, I found those, I find that to be just like <laughs> asking for a lot, you know, like I, yeah. <laughs> we're in the midst of a global pandemic and like, you know, the United States obviously is lagging behind a lot of countries in that sense right now. And there's just like a lot of health risks about it. We don't know. So like I have no real, um, have no real, like they're, they're bad. Like you don't like deserve to go to Orlando if you're as bad as the Cavs, you know, like I think 22 teams is even a lot. And like, I think it's interesting to see how these teams go for me. Like, I mean, for the Cavs, if I were them, I don't, you know, I, I understand wanting that second bubble. I really empathize with that. But I think if you can at least get like training camps with other teams and stuff like that, I think that would be um, uh, at least a workable option. And if I were them, I'd almost want to have them after the drafts. So you could like, you know, incorporate like your young talent in and kind of use them to kind of prepare for next season in the way when you're actually going to play games again, come like December or whatever. So yeah, I don't, I don't, it's weird. Um, I'm certainly jealous people are going to get to watch the teams they, they cover, root for, or whatever, kind of play again. But I mean, the Cavs are in a situation where they didn't deserve to go there. So it's like, you know, what do you, what, like, there's not, Marnus still saying this, it's like they were really bad. And like, it's not like their season was going a ton or anyway, even if I, I can empathize with, they would rather be playing basketball than not. Yeah, it's really interesting. Actually, a couple of months ago now, it feels like forever ago, I was on a, a Zoom call where Daly was on there and I asked, and we're going to touch on Daly in a little bit here, but I asked him about the potential return to play when it was not known what was going to happen. And he kind of said, well, I really want to play. He's like, I'm working out right now. I'm preparing to play. I understand as it currently stands, we, we aren't really going to be in the postseason, but I want to find some way to play. He's also a free agent. There's all these complications for these guys that aren't going to get the chance to play. So it, it's going to be interesting to see how uh, that all unfolds over the next, I guess, couple of months because the start of next season is so uncertain as well. We don't know what's going to happen there. As far as Dally goes, we'll get to a trade a little bit later on. But the reason you are on here is we want to talk a little bit of George Hill. And if we go back to February, it was either February 8 or 7. I'm not sure if I've got my international dates uh, correct here. But this was a big day for the Cavs because George Hill came in so did Rodney Hood, Larry Nance, Jordan Clarkson, and IT, Channing Fry, Aman Shumper, Jay Crowder, Derek Rose, and Dwayne Wade all went out. It was wholesale changes for a Cavs team that was struggling a little bit at the time. Let's focus in on George Hill. 
He was in Sacramento shooting the ball really well. He was actually shooting 45% from three, but his numbers were largely down across the board. He didn't seem all that motivated to be playing for the Kings. What was the expectations, do you remember, from Cavs fans for him coming in? Because I think the wider belief and popular belief, let's just say that, was maybe George Hill's best basketball was behind him. You know, he's a guy that was really, in the context of that season, um, is the antithesis of Isaiah Thomas, who goes out and everything that happened with him is very well documented at this point, and it was really a disaster in a lot of ways. Um, with with George Hill, he comes in, I think the expectation was that he would kind of be a good fitter on LeBron. He's kind of the ideal LeBron point guard in a sense because he doesn't need the ball a ton. Um, good three-point shooter, smart player, good defender, long, versatile, all that stuff. And I think the expectation was, okay, the Cavs are going to make one more run at this. He's kind of an ideal fit to plug up some of the holes they had. Um, and again, like, I think it's looking back at it, you know, he's really, again, the opposite of Isaiah Thomas, who is like not versatile, you know, was very brash in a lot of ways, never really meshed with anyone, was calling guys out um, very comfortably in a lot of ways. So I, I think it's, it's really tied into that for me when I think of it. It's just he comes in, he's supposed to be kind of a stabilizing presence, and I, I think he was leaned on in that sense. Yeah, when you look at the playoff numbers, and, and right across the board, really, as soon as he came into Cleveland with the, the guys that, that went out, he was the, basically the starting point guard for every game, started in 18 of the 19 playoff games. From the outside, I mean, obviously everyone remembers the free throw, and they look at that, and, and it, they, he's harshly judged by that. But right across that playoff series, he was only 31% from three. So did it feel, as you watch this team, and, and clearly the Cavs reached the finals again, did it feel like you know George Hill was was a significant part of this team? Did it feel like he ha- he could go up to another level with g- given more responsibility moving forward? Or where did you sense his career was at at that point? It's an interesting question because when I think of him, um, I think of the situation where he he obviously will be, I think, remembered for that missed free throw, but that is sort of what it is. You know, it's not like that was um, everything for his postseason. You know, I don't, I'm looking at his numbers now. Uh, they're not like great. You know, we only he shot like 45% from the field this playoffs, average under 10 points a game. Um, shot just like 31% from three. Like this wasn't like a great postseason performance, but um, I, I want to go back and I'm going to have to go back and look at my notes from this and figure out where they are exactly. But, you know, there, I, I distinctly just remember in the Pacers series in particular to open up the playoffs, he was, and I think he missed a game, if I remember correctly, in the beginning of that playoffs. The Cavs had like a real problem just like initiating offense when it wasn't LeBron a lot of the time. And he was one of the like the two guys on the team, him and LeBron, really that could like bring up the ball. And like that is like a really like concerning thing when it's like you have two guys bringing the ball, but he was that important and he was taking on a lot of defensive responsibility. Um, I, I think Ty Lu like really leaned on him a lot. I would have to go back and kind of look at some of the the kind of the like if they just minutes remember the finals, kind of that stuff. And ultimately, like it didn't matter because that Cavs team was really overmatched. But I think he, the hope was that he could just like accentuate the version of LeBron we saw the year, which, you know, as you know, is like this guy that was like doing everything for the team. And he, the idea, I think, of George Hill was like, okay, can, can he help LeBron take that to the level he needs to to give us a chance to win? And I think to some degree he did that, just not like the numbers don't like bear out that he was quite at the level like if you look at every other year except for his age 24 season with the Spurs he was like much better from three um and if he could just have just gotten like what he was with the Bucks last year 
um, at like 40, almost 42%, like 10% better. That's like a world of a difference for that Cavs team, I think, in a lot of ways. All right, Chris, I'm just going to jump in now and give a quick note about one of our newest sponsors to the podcast, and that's Magic Spoon. I don't know if you guys out there are cereal eaters or not. I probably went away from it. I went through a phase where I went away from cereal and over the last couple of years, probably since I started doing media and recording podcasts at all hours of the night, I've come back to cereal. And a big reason for that is Magic Spoon. Magic Spoon has zero sugar, 12 grams of protein, and only three net grams of carbs in each serving. They have four flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and blueberry. It tastes amazing. Honestly, it's too good to be true. It's keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, low-carb, and GMO-free. My favorite flavor in particular is the blueberry. I'm always, I always go the fruit option. It's just what I do. You know we're going to have a good deal for you. If you go to magicspoon.com slash MBA, you can grab a variety pack and try it today. Be sure to use our promo code MBA at the checkout to get free shipping. Magic Spoon is so confident in their product. It's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money. No questions asked. That's magicspoon.com slash NBA and use the code MBA for free shipping. We thank Magic Spoon for supporting Locked On Bucks. And just looking at the game log for George Hill, game seven against Boston, he plays 38 minutes. So, I mean, he was a significant part of this team and they really needed him, which I think when I compare to the role he's had in Milwaukee, I think he's no doubt benefited from that, uh, playing mid-20s and and not being the starter. So I think that that's been a big part of this. But when we go to 2018-19, when the trade goes down, George Hill, again, shooting the ball really well. He was in the 40s or or high 40s, I believe, from three uh, for you guys early in the season. But he missed a bunch of games with a shoulder injury. He also came to Milwaukee, I know, with some adductor issues, which really limited him uh, early uh, in his his Milwaukee uh, time with the Bucks because he wasn't shooting the ball well at all. He was really struggling in the regular season and he came into his own uh, during the postseason. But what about that trade from a Cavs perspective? Because I know from the Milwaukee side of things, everyone really looked at this trade as, well, this is this is unbelievable. The Bucks have been able to shed a bunch of salary in John Henson and Matthew Dellavedova. Yes, they have to give up a, a draft pick, but I think George Hill, the player, was completely overlooked. You know, I thought it was one of those things where, like, I think it made a lot of sense. Um, I think it was inevitable. You know, I think the Cavs just, like, he he was not going to be as happy as he kind of needed to be there. Um, he was going to be a guy that I think they, they had Colin Sexton come in. Like, they needed to get him into the starting lineup, and George Hill was, like, the block of that. And they once things kind of went haywire earlier that season, like, you put you had to push him into the starting lineup as well as, as kind of quick as you could. I think that was sort of... Um, one of the, the keys to that was just him being put in that, put it out of the way so Colin could kind of get into the starting lineup and that happened pretty early. Um, I guess I just want to, I want to back one thing with this. George Hill in those playoffs kind of leading into this is a guy that like, if you look at, and I have this up, like in the minutes log, you look at when he got a little bit healthy, which is one of the things we don't really exactly know how healthy he was to some degree. This was a guy that like went from basically being like thrown, he went from like got out of Sacramento comes to Cleveland, gets sort of what he always sort of wanted um, and, and teams up with LeBron and gets kind of a chance to play for a title again. And then he's back to being on like this dreg of a team and everything just goes haywire right away. He's a very quiet guy, as I think you know. Like he's not – doesn't love talking to the media, doesn't love interacting with us in a lot of ways. And like I never have gotten the sense that like one way or another how he felt, but you can just like – I just knowing kind of what seems to make him tick from when he actually does talk to folks – 
Like he's a guy that needs just like some desire to compete. And I think when he got traded, it just made sense for him. It made sense for the team. Like there was no need for him in Cleveland. The moment they drafted Colin Sexton in a lot of ways, especially when you had Clarkson, you get Delhi back, all that stuff. Hill is a guy that like, unlike Delhi could actually still compete at a high level. It made all the sense in the world for him to move on. And I, I think as we've seen this year, I think the fit with him in Milwaukee is just like, perfect for where he's at per and perfect for his skill set because not it's it's sort of a a souped up version of the 2018 cabs he came into because there's a one ball dominant star but instead of like uh kevin love being the second guy and i love kevin love like chris middleton's great um you have all these swiss army nice guys swiss army knife guys like really good players blood so um, you had, you know, at Brogdon last year, obviously, you have Vincenzo, Dante Vincenzo, you have Brooke Lopez, like you just have a higher caliber of player. And that allows him, I think, to be even a better version of the kind of the guy he was with the Gabs, especially if he's a little healthier. And again, things are just the Boonholzer system, obviously, is going to create a lot of good things for a guy like Giorgio. Yeah, I, I really like the point you made about the motivation for him. I think that this was very, very clear. Because like I said, he came into Milwaukee, wasn't shooting the ball all that well. But he really wanted to fit in, and you could tell that in the experience that I've said uh, around George Hill. It felt from being in the locker room that he was a guy that, at first, was just sort of checking out the scene. He was keeping to himself. He was just assessing what was going on. He knew that he came into a pretty uh, high-caliber team in the Eastern Conference, a team that was going to have a chance to compete. And then you saw him, as the year went on, become more of that vocal leader. He seemed more comfortable. He clearly got healthy. And by playoff time, he was really contributing. But you're right. He, he's not a big talker. I remember the first time I tried to talk to him, he was just like, why do you want to talk to me? And I'm like, oh, because like, you played pretty well tonight. And he's like, I didn't play that well. Why don't you talk to this player, this player, this player? And I wasn't even rude. He just generally doesn't really like doing the media. He's, he's a he, quiet guy like that. He wants to like hang out on his ranch and like yeah, exactly not, and like hang out with his family and like be george hill in a way that is like i i very much relate to the introversion of george hill like it's extremely um endearing and it's like honestly the other way that he was like the opposite of isaiah because isaiah was just like always talking like to a fault sometimes and like george hill is just like i'm here to just like play and like i'm gonna defer as much as i can and there's something really um i there's something very like he'll he he would probably like look at me weird if I said this, but I find there's something just very like nice about George Hill and just kind of the way he's wired. It's something kind of like unique among a lot of NBA guys. Well, I, I think the thing about him is that he's actually, and this is the problem for him that he doesn't necessarily like talking to the media, but every time he does, it's so fascinating to listen to him talk. I mean, he's such an interesting guy. And I, I think you sort of touched on it that these NBA stars sometimes kind of seem like they're not normal people because of the status they have, because of the lives they live. And George Hill is really just a normal guy and he doesn't pretend to be anything different. He shows up, plays basketball, and as you said, then goes to hang out uh, on his ranch. But I, I do think health has been a big thing with George Hill. The role, as you pointed to, is clearly perfect. He's not asked to do uh, too much. Defensively, he's been a, a key cog for this team, though. But offensively, some of his numbers this season in particular, have just been outrageous. He's shooting 68% at the rim, which puts him in the 95th percentile, according to cleaning the glass. He's shooting 51% on corner threes, and that's in the 93rd percentile. We know he's leading the entire NBA at 48%. He's really become a security blanket for the Bucks as well, behind Eric, Ble uh, Eric Bledsoe. We saw that in the postseason last year. I, I just... I didn't imagine... I, I thought that he could still be a, an in, a valuable contributor, and I probably underestimated the motivation point that you uh, pointed to a little bit earlier. And the other thing is, 
that I, I probably did not expect at all that he would have another decent contract in him. I, I thought that maybe once that $18 million uh, was basically wiped away and the Bucks had to, had to fork out the guaranteed $1 million, I thought that would be it for him. But this guy has well and truly re- resurrected his career in war. I think he's a guy that is just like a really, really good fit with Giannis, a really good fit with the the system, a really good fit with kind of everything they're doing. And because it, it just accentuates the stuff he does well and like mitigates, you know, the stuff he doesn't do well. I mean, when you have Giannis, when you have Middleton and you have Bledsoe, like he's the fourth kind of creator. And if you go back to 2018, like he was kind of the second guy in Cleveland initiating the offense because that wasn't what Kevin was doing. And it's, he was much more reliable than a Jordan Clarkson. So I think you just look at that and it's like, it's kind of perfect for a guy like him to kind of be in this position right now. And, and, and again, I think the, I think the boot and holes system for a guy like him that um, can wants to get open looks that is going to thrive, getting open looks created from by others and kind of by the flow of the offense. I think it's just a really, really good fit. And I think the health thing is too, it's like he was not ever fully healthy. I think at that point I think it's some back issues, some other issues kind of through those playoffs and, he gave what he could, but I don't think it was like the best version of George Hill. And I think right now you're seeing what he kind of looks like. I mean, you know, he's 34, even though, you know, he's, he's been in the league like a long time, a sneaky long time now, like he's 2008 NBA draft. Like that's a long time for a guard to kind of keep thriving. Um, but yeah, it's, I think it's just a really good situation. I think he's, he really, really, and I'm, I wonder if what he would say to this, I'm sure he would kind of agree to it, but it's just when you're, I think he's just so much accentuated in really positive ways by um, what the Bucks are and how they kind of run things. And I think it's just, it's, I don't think you could have found a better landing spot for him when the Cavs uh, were trading him last year. I think the, the only, I think it just makes so much sense for him as a fanatic. I couldn't think of a, I can't really think of a better fit for him in that sense. So before I let you go, I do have to ask about our old friends, John Henson, obviously. Uh, ended up moving on again. He didn't get to play a lot. And when he came, he was actually injured and, and missed most of that season last year. But what about Dali? He's a free agent. Cleveland, we know Cleveland. Love Dali. What's going to happen with him? Because I have a lot of people ask me, obviously being Australian, what I think is going to happen with Dali. I think his leadership and the fact that, as you sort of pointed to, he's more comfortable with coming off the bench and playing behind some of the young guards you have kind of lends me to believe that whether it's with the Cavs or with another team, he's got another couple veteran minimum contracts potentially in him. But what do you say for Dali? I'll just say I feel bad. I feel really bad for John Henson. <laughs> <laughs> like, is hurt when he comes over, ends up on a bad Cavs team that already has a lot of bigs, and he ends up on the Pistons, where, like, there's no way they're going to resign him. There's, like, no reason they would. Like, kind of just a tough role for, for my guy. Uh, and what a guy, my... by the way. I remember when we saw him, you would know this. I mean, he's always smiling. He's always laughing. And this was one of the things that actually pissed off Bucks fans a little bit during his time, that you can be getting blown out and John Henson will still be laughing and smiling and having the best time of his life. And I remember last year when they came back to Milwaukee, uh, we asked him how it felt to be playing against a Bucks team or seeing this Bucks team playing so well. And he went through all the bad times and he was just smiling. He's like, Oh man, he's like, I'm in the NBA. I'm living the life. Like what, what, what have I got to be upset about? I'm happy for those guys. And it's just unbelievable attitude that guy has. He's hard. He is hard not to like. Yeah. Uh, as for Delhi, I, I think the Cavs like him. I think there's a good chance that um, he's back next year. Actually. I don't, I don't think he's like in line for like a ton of minutes or anything like that. But in terms of, where he could go. I don't really see a lot of other fits. It's not like he's playing in a, in a way that like George Hill um, is playing at where like, you're sure he can continue playing at like a high level or something. Like, I'm not sure 
that's in it for Delhi, although he was much better um, at the end of the season, kind of when things did end. Like, I thought he was kind of looking mm. as well as he did at any one point, which is a really – that's like a good sign, good for him in that sense. Um, I think – he makes sense to come back kind of a veteran guy. I think it's always good to have one of those adults in the room, so to speak. I think he can be a good mentor for Darius and for, for Colin. I think he can still be, you know, Bickerstaff and, and Beeline both really have leaned on him um, to kind of be like a veteran presence before and keep things organized. Like there is value to that, especially when you are kind of playing a lot of young players. I think he, he likes, he's, you know, Kevin would like him to have him around. I think a lot of the other vets that are still kind of around would like to have Delhi back. And I think, I think you like I, I can imagine like a minimum dealer like kind of pay him a little extra out of the mid level exception or something like that. Just bring him back. I think it makes a ton of sense. I don't really see a downside to doing it unless because I don't think like you're super worried about um you know your roster spots. I mean like you have other guys that you want to see create. I mean not only do you have Sexton and Garland, but Dante Exum is on this team, Jetty Osmond's on this team. Um, you could be drafting Lamella Ball or Killian Hayes or someone of that nature come the draft. So I don't think there's like a huge positional need for him, but I do think just in terms of veteran presence, a guy that you can kind of um, use to kind of help guys figure out what they're doing and everything like that. I, I think in that sense, he makes just a lot of sense to come back to Cleveland. And I, I personally hope he does. Um, I I think it's a little more, it just feels right to have Delhi back. And I think it, it's, it's just, it's, it's really the one spot for him in the league that I think just makes a lot of sense right now, unless a team, th- unless he thinks or a team thinks that he can help a contender. And I'm not sure how true that is. I think this, this is kind of the right fit for him. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. I, I, I'm not sure whether I see a contender really chasing him down. Uh, to play significant minutes at this point, but he's always a guy that Bucks fans for that Dully scoop alone against Boston in the in the postseason. He's always going to be a guy I think Bucks fans uh, wish well. But well, oh, and I, I just want to say I loved the signing for him when he went to Milwaukee. I loved the fit of yeah. it. It just like injuries and stuff so, like didn't work out for him, but I, I liked the idea of it quite a bit. It just like he he really plateaued very very quickly um, in, in a way that like injuries and everything just kind of hampered him, and he. You know, he he's Delhi's not a guy that has like the the net, the high high level athleticism uh, to like <laughs> overcome like little things that slow him down in that way, and I think he would agree with that as well. Oh, I'll never begrudge him for the contract. I think it was a, a bad contract for the Bucks, but for Dali, uh, it's unbelievable. It's an unbelievable story uh, that he's had. But the, uh, the Cavs tried to give him like four million dollars like a year before that, <laughs> a year before, and they like or he he his camp wanted that, and the Cavs were like, nah. And he ended up getting paid more. So shouts to Delhi, get that money. Uh, he he did very well. That's that's what you know. There's been a lot of players over the years that have benefited from playing uh, next to LeBron, and potentially uh, for the Bucks, there's going to be a lot of players that are going to do the same with Giannis uh, in in the future. Yes, yes, yes. yes. We really appreciate this. We speak about George Hill a lot, but we haven't dedicated a podcast to him. I thought it was well overdue. He's been a key contributor. Uh, you watched him very closely from his time in Cleveland, so I got onto you pretty late. But I really appreciate you taking the time, and I understand. What it's like these last few months trying to trying to get podcasts out, trying to create contact, so uh, content, I should say. So I, I really feel for you, and it's going to be a long off season. But we we wish the best for the Cavs. Yeah, you know I appreciate it. I uh, I look forward to us when it's the Lamelo Ball, Colin Sexton, Darius Garland, Kevin Love team taking on the Bucks in the Conference Finals next year. Just just you wait. Well, let's hope so. Let's hope that's so. not so, that's not going to happen. That, that's 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 that's. The Cavs are going to be in the lottery next year. Book it. Book it now. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. Uh, I, listen, I'm very positive. I'm very, very positive, as you can tell. 
I just I just look forward to next season. Hopefully, uh, happening in a in <laughs> yeah. A normal... Fingers crossed. Yeah, I I don't. I'm not looking ahead to anything really further than that at this point. But that's Chris Manning. He's the host of Locked On Cavs. I'm Kane Pittman. We will be back tomorrow. Frank will be back, and we'll speak to you guys then.